Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 79, Forgive All Men. Welcome back. Thanks so much for being here and give yourself a pat on the back for making time for the Savior today. I think we're all doing so much better than we think that we're doing. And so you being here today, you choosing to click play on something that has to do with Come Follow Me, that has to do with the Savior, that has to do with the scriptures, is you doing a good job. So I'm glad you're here. And I want you to give yourself some props for being here for yourself. Okay, so this week we are continuing the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob, who is renamed by the Lord Israel. And if you didn't listen to last week yet, or you didn't study last week or whatever, I want you to stop right now and go to last week's episode and make sure you listen to that first so that you can hear the first part of Joseph's story, which is so amazing and so cool. So that's where we're going to start is where we left off last week. And just to give you a very, very brief recap, we have Joseph who has 11 brothers. Those brothers threw him into a pit intending to sell him. And and then the, the Midianites, Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites sold him to the Midianites. And he ended up being a, a slave in Egypt. And he was betrayed multiple times, but also elevated because of his faith in the Lord multiple times to positions of power. And eventually he becomes second only to Pharaoh and is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream and is able to predict a famine that's coming. There is going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And for Egypt, he is then given position and power to prepare for that famine. So now we've got Joseph who is governor over all of Egypt and he now has prepared for this famine and we are into the famine and he is in charge of selling the food to the people. So starting in chapter 42, it starts with Jacob asking his sons as, as they're running out of food and hearing that there is food to be had in Egypt He basically says, why are you guys standing around here doing nothing? There is corn in Egypt and you need to go buy it so that we can survive. So the sons head to Egypt, except for Benjamin. Benjamin is Joseph's brother through Rachel. He stays at home because Jacob can't bear the thought of something happening to him like what happened to Joseph. And what Jacob thinks happened to Joseph is that he was killed by a wild beast because he had been brought back Joseph's coat of many colors with blood all over it, which actually his brothers did, and they put goat's blood on it. If you remember, Joseph was Jacob's favorite because he was his son through his true love wife, Rachel. So I assume that the sentiment for Benjamin comes from that same place. So the brothers travel to Egypt. And when they arrive, they bow before Joseph, because he's in charge of all of the food storage, to ask him for access to food, to buy food. When Joseph sees them, he knows who they are. But it says that he made himself strange unto them and spoke roughly so they wouldn't know who he was. It also says in a few verses that he actually wasn't speaking directly to them. He used an interpreter. And remember that it's also been quite a few years since 17-year-old Joseph was sold into slavery. So. I imagine that he probably also looked quite different from 17-year-old Joseph. He asks them where they came from, and they tell him that they came from Canaan to buy food. As they're bowing to him, Joseph is remembering the dreams that he had had about them so many years ago when he was young, the dreams that made them so angry at the time, dreams that prophesied that they would bow down to Joseph. So imagine after all of these years, this prophecy finally coming to life. 
that must have felt incredible and crazy to Joseph. Joseph then, perhaps to have an opportunity to test them, accuses them of being spies and coming to see how vulnerable Egypt had become in the famine. They denied this, saying that they have just come to buy food and that they are all the sons of one man and that they are honest men. Joseph pretends not to believe them, so they offer him a more detailed explanation about who they are. And actually, later in the chapters, the the brothers claim that Joseph asked them specific questions. And so this kind of seems slightly like a contradiction in story, so I'm not sure exactly which one's accurate. But here in the initial part of the story, it says that they just started to offer up a more detailed explanation to try to dissuade Joseph from thinking that they're spies. They said, thy servants are 12 brethren, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is not. So the one that is not is Joseph because they don't know what happened to Joseph. And then the youngest, of course, is Benjamin, who has been who has stayed back with their father. Joseph still accuses them of being spies and wants them to prove their story by sending one brother to go get Benjamin while the rest of them are kept in prison. So he puts them all in prison for three days. And after three days, he comes back to them and says that he's reconsidered his plan and wants to make sure he's doing what is right before God. He tells them he's going to keep one brother in prison and the rest of them can go carry corn back to their family. And then they are to bring back Benjamin so that Joseph can know that they are telling the truth. In this next part, the brothers are consulting with each other and they don't realize that Joseph can understand them because he's working through an interpreter, nor do they realize that he is Joseph. So they're talking about the guilt that they have concerning what they did to Joseph so many years ago. Essentially, they believe that at this point they are being punished by God for doing wrong by Joseph. Verse 21, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul, and when he besought us and we would not hear, therefore this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself from them and wept. Think of what that would have felt like to overhear. Can you imagine the the hurt and pain Joseph has carried around concerning his brothers all these years? And what validation or, or I don't quite know what kind of feeling to hear his brothers speak about what they did to him in a remorseful way. Joseph is so overcome with emotion that he has to leave the room so he doesn't give himself away. At this point, Joseph sends the rest of them on their way and keeps his brother Simeon. Secretly, he commands his servants to refill the brother's sacks with corn and also put their money in the sack and give them supplies for their journey. When one of the brothers opened his sack to feed his donkey, he saw the money laying on the top. And of course, this was extremely confusing to them, especially because they didn't know that the man that they had been dealing with was Joseph. So super random for one, but it appears as though they had been framed as thieves. They return to Jacob and tell him everything that had happened and what they had been accused of and what this powerful man in Egypt had demanded of them. That the demand was that in order for them to continue to do business in Egypt and to free their brother Simeon, their younger brother Benjamin needed to come and see Joseph. 
When the brothers emptied out the rest of their sacks, they saw that all of the sacks had their money in them. And when they saw this, they were scared. Jacob accuses them of taking his children from him. He says, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. It appears as though Jacob is not willing to risk losing Benjamin. So in an attempt to convince Jacob, Reuben says that Jacob can kill his two sons if he doesn't bring Benjamin back. But Jacob is still not convinced. Verse 38, And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So he's basically saying, if something else happens and I lose Benjamin, I'm, I'm going to die. I can't handle this. Since Jacob has refused, they live off what they have for a little while, but the famine doesn't go away. And as they run out of food again, Jacob asks them to go buy food. Judah reminds him that the man that they dealt with warned them not to come back unless they had Benjamin. He says that they will go as long as Jacob allows Benjamin to come. Jacob then frustrated says, essentially, why did you have to tell him that you had another brother? The brothers respond basically saying that the man asked us questions and we simply answered them. And how were we supposed to know that that's what he was going to require? Then Judah again asked his father to send Benjamin so that they and their little ones wouldn't die from the famine. He says that he will be responsible for Benjamin, and if he doesn't bring him back, then he will take the blame forever. And he also reminds his father that if they hadn't stayed all of this time since coming back, they would have already been back for a second time. Genesis chapter 43, verse 11, And their father Israel said unto them, and remember that Jacob and Israel are the same person. The Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take the best fruits of the land in your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. And take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, and carry it again in your hand. Peradventure it was an oversight. So the extra money is protecting them in case the previously returned money was a mistake. Take also your brother, meaning Benjamin, and arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Meaning he's saying, if I lose them, then I lose them. Their situation must have been truly dire because it appears as though Joseph is making decisions from a perspective where he feels as if he has nothing to lose. They're going to die anyway from famine if they don't get food. So they go. When Joseph sees Benjamin with them, he commands his servants to prepare a feast so that the brothers can eat with him. The brothers are afraid and they think that Joseph is trying to acquire evidence of their thievery from the last time that they were there so that he can arrest them and enslave them and take their property. When they arrive at the house, they try to explain what happened the first time to the steward of Joseph's house. Verse 20, And said, O sir, we came indeed down the first time to buy food. And it came to pass, when we came to the inn, that we opened our sacks. And behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. And we have brought it again in our hand. And other money we have brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell you who put our money in our sacks. The steward then puts their mind at ease. He says in verse 23, Peace be to you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. So he's saying, 
I had your money personally the last time. And he brings Simeon, their brother, who had been left behind, out to them. They are given water, they wash their feet, their donkeys are fed, and then the brothers prepare what they have brought for Joseph's arrival. When Joseph arrives, they have their presence displayed for him, and they bow to him when he comes into the room, which is another fulfillment of Joseph's prophecy from earlier in his life. Joseph asks how their father Jacob is doing, and Jacob, side note, is about 130 years old at this point, and they tell Joseph that Jacob is in good health, and they continue to bow to him. Next, Joseph sees Benjamin, and this next verse is so tender. Verse 29, And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on the bread. I love the emotion in this story. There is, I mean, in all of these interactions, Joseph is consistently having to remove himself in order to cry. And I think that's just a manifestation of of the pain that he's felt in this betrayal from his brothers over the years. So clearly, Joseph is emotional at this point. I love the phrase, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. In the scriptures, when the word bowels is used, it means the place where your sentimental feelings come from. So they start the meal, and Joseph had prearranged for them to sit oldest to youngest. And at this, the brothers were very amazed. It seems that they don't understand how Joseph would have known what order they should be in. As the food served, they are all given plenty of food, but Benjamin is given five times as much as any of the rest of them. And it says they drank and were merry with him. He then commands the steward of his house to fill their sacks with as much food as they can carry and put all of their money back into their sacks. And he also commands four of his own silver cups to be put in Benjamin's sack. As soon as it was light outside, the brothers are off on their journey. But before they can get very far away, Joseph sends his servants to catch up with them and ask them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Isn't this our Lord's silver cup? When they were accused of stealing, they essentially said, We brought double the money when we arrived in order to ensure that we were being honest. Why would we steal gold or silver from you at this point? The brothers are so sure that no one has done this that they tell the steward that he can execute anyone who has the silver cup and that the rest of them will stay and be slaves. The steward rejects this plan and says, no, if I find one of you has the silver cup, then that man has to come back with me to be my servant and the rest of you can go on your way. He then searches their sacks, starting with oldest, going down to the youngest. And of course, they find the cups in Benjamin's sack. The brothers rent their clothes, which means that they tear their clothes, which is a demonstration of great distress, and they all return to the city. The brother Judah, as we have read, historically has been a fairly wicked man, but here we see some pretty Christ-like qualities, which is a really cool way to see somebody progress in the scriptures. Judah and his brothers go down to Joseph's house and bow down before him. Joseph asks, Why have you done this? Did you not know that I have a a special ability to uncover secrets? And Judah responds, essentially saying, what can we say? How can we clear ourselves? God knows that we have done wickedly in the past. 
And because of what's happened in the past, we are now your servants. Joseph then replies, saying that it wouldn't be right for him to keep those who are innocent, but he wants to keep the man in whose sack the cup was found, which is Benjamin. And the rest of you can go on your way back to your father. Judah then asks if he can speak privately with Joseph in a whisper. Judah reminds Joseph that they started out answering the questions that he asked in the first place, asking if they had a father or a brother, and they answered truthfully. And they also explained that Benjamin was left behind because his father was too afraid something would happen to him. And it was hard to convince his father to allow Benjamin to even come. But they did it anyway because it was necessary and because Joseph had commanded it. Judah tells Joseph that if they go back with without Benjamin, that their father will die. And he tells Joseph that he, he himself guaranteed Benjamin's safety to his father and set upon himself any blame for anything that happened. So he offers to take the place of Benjamin as Joseph's servant so that Benjamin can return home to his father. He says, how could I go to my father without Benjamin? I couldn't handle watching this happen to my father. So remember, he's telling Joseph all of this in private. This isn't all for show. It's very sincere. After all this, Joseph can't control his emotions any longer. He commands the servants to leave the room, and Joseph reveals to his brothers who he is. And I just want to read these next parts because they are so wonderful. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph made himself known unto his brethren, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath famine been in the land, and yet there are five years, in the which there shall neither be airing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there I will nourish thee. For yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household, and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste, and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren, and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. Doesn't that account just tug at your heartstrings? It is so beautiful. 
The news of Joseph's brothers spread fast in Egypt and to Pharaoh, and everyone is very happy for him, including Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your breasts and go, and get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your household, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. This do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. I mean, talk about a warm welcome. So they do this. Joseph gives them all a change of clothing, wagons, and provisions. He gave Benjamin five changes of clothing and 300 pieces of silver. And sent to his father were ten donkeys carrying all the good things of Egypt, ten donkeys carrying corn, bread, and meat. The brothers arrive to tell Jacob, their father, everything that has happened. Genesis chapter 46, verse 26. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. So they make the journey. Judah is sent ahead to ask for directions to Goshen, where they had been given to live. Verse 29 of chapter 46. And Joseph made ready his chariot, and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. I love the descriptive language there. He fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Okay, with the story, we're going to stop there for now. Quickly, just to get you thinking about things that you can think about as you read this story yourself, I want to mention different ways that Joseph typifies Christ. So I'm going to review a few examples pointed out in David J. Ridge's book, The Old Testament Made Easier, book one. He says, number one, The Savior is second only to the Father and has been put in charge of all things under his direction. And Joseph was second only to the king and was put in charge of all things under him. And if you remember, he also was put in charge of, he was second only to Potiphar and second only to the warden of the prison. Number two, under the direction of the Savior, we are being tested during our earthly sojourn. Under the direction of Joseph, his brothers were tested during their sojourn in Egypt. Number three, Jesus is the bread of life, and we come to him for nourishment and eternal life. And Joseph has an abundance of grain, and his brothers have to come to him to sustain their lives. Number four, the Savior waits patiently with the deepest love and tender emotion for us as we grow and mature spiritually. And Joseph is waiting patiently with deep love and tender emotion as his brothers grow and mature spiritually. Number five, although the Savior is often in our midst, we usually don't see him. Joseph is in the midst of his brothers, but they do not recognize him. Number six, the Savior speaks to us through his prophets and has his faithful servants, bishops, stake presidents, teachers, and so forth, do much of the the direct work with us. And Joseph spoke to his brothers through an interpreter and had his faithful servants do much of the direct work with them. All right, and beyond that, there are even more parallels you could pull out um, with Joseph and the Savior. 
including if you are looking at the beginning of Joseph's story that we talked about last week. Isn't Joseph's full circle story so incredible? And when you think about the entire story, talk about a dysfunctional sibling relationship. And yet through all of that, how much love is still left at the end? Jeffrey R. Holland said in his talk, The Ministry of Reconciliation, Forgive that ye shall be forgiven, Christ taught in the New Testament times. And in our day, I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive. But of you it is required to forgive all men. It is, however, important for some of you living in real anguish to note what he did not say. He did not say you are not allowed to feel true pain or real sorrow from the shattering experiences you have had at the hand of another. Nor did he say, in order to forgive fully, you have to re-enter a toxic relationship or return to an abusive, destructive circumstance. But notwithstanding even the most terrible offenses that might come to us, we can rise above our pain only when we put our feet on the path of true healing. That path is the forgiving one walked by Jesus of Nazareth, who calls out to each of us, come, follow me. In such an invitation, to be his disciple and try to do as he did, Jesus is asking us to be instruments of his grace, to be ambassadors for Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. As Paul described it to the Corinthians, the healer of every wound, he who writes every wrong, asks us to labor with him in the daunting task of peacemaking in a world that won't find it any other way. So as Philip Brooks wrote, You who are letting miserable misunderstandings run on from year to year, meaning to clear them up someday, you who are keeping wretched quarrels alive because you cannot quite make up your mind that now is the day to sacrifice your pride and settle them, you who are passing men sullenly on the street, not speaking to them out of some silly spite, you who are letting someone's heart ache for a word of appreciation or sympathy, which you mean to give some day, go instantly and do the thing which you might never have another chance to do. Isn't it hard? to truly let go of something when you feel that you were the one wronged? I experienced a small version of this recently, not with a family member, but with a friend. And in this experience, I felt as though there were actions being taken that showed a complete disregard for feelings and inconsiderate treatment, making someone I love feel so small and so devalued and so unimportant. And I was truly angry And I very kindly tried to express my feelings and I felt very unsatisfied with the answers that I received back and things turned cold between me and this other person. A few weeks passed and it was very clear that we were both avoiding each other. And through all of this, I really didn't know how this other person was feeling, but I did know that I didn't like how I was feeling. And I hated the feeling of lingering resentment and anger. And I hated the feeling that they probably felt the same way toward me. So I reached out and tried to fix it. I'm pretty positive we still don't see eye to eye about the situation, but I sure do feel a whole lot better. And as soon as I did something about it, that weight felt so much lighter. It didn't necessarily mean that my feelings immediately resolved or that I still don't have some feelings or opinions about what happened or things I need to work through, but I tried so hard to give the hurt and the anger to the Lord. And 
let me tell you, it feels so much better. The weight of bitterness and resentment toward another person is heavy. It keeps you from reaching your full potential. It keeps you from having the spirit with you. Me hanging on to that wouldn't have done anything other than hold me back and bridle my joy. And ultimately, and most importantly, it would have kept me in a sinful state. Now, in the scheme of things, my little personal example here is just a small thing. It wasn't as serious as the hurt that I'm sure some of you have experienced. Wounds that go deeper, wrongs that are profoundly and unimaginably painful. But though it seems trivial to equate small wounds with deep ones, I want to remind you that the Lord has paid for and is ready to help with both. And part of that process is also you forgiving other people. Mine was small and easier to let go of, and I still struggled with it and still probably am struggling with it to some extent. Yours might be more of a long process, but long process or short, forgiveness is still part of the plan. Elder Kevin R. Duncan said in his talk, The Healing Ointment of Forgiveness, Just as we are all victims to the misdeeds of others at one time or another, we are also sometimes the offender. We fall short and have need of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We must remember that forgiveness of our own sins and offenses is conditioned upon our forgiving others. The Savior said, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Of all the things the Savior could have said in the Lord's Prayer, which is remarkably short, it is interesting that he chose to include and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is the very reason God sent his son. So let us rejoice in his offering to heal us all. The Savior's atonement is not just for those who need to repent. It is also for those who need to forgive. If you are having trouble forgiving another person or even yourself, ask God to help you. Forgiveness is a glorious healing principle. We do not need to be a victim twice. We can forgive. Think back on the story of Joseph that we read about today. His brothers betrayed him in a horrific way. Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers? Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, For God did send me before you to preserve life. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. The Lord has told us that all things will work together for our good. He didn't say most things. He didn't say except for the really bad things. He said all things. All things can work together for our good as we use our agency the way that we have been instructed to. As we use our agency to repent and forgive. Ask yourself, do you believe that there could come a point in your life when you are able to say to the person you feel has wronged you the most that you can say to them, don't be sad or angry with yourself. Everything that has happened was ultimately for my good and yours. Do you believe that you could get to the point where you sincerely hope that they can be forgiven, that they can forgive themselves so that they can move on too? I don't ask these questions thinking that this is an easy thing. I don't. And I do think that the direction you are traveling with forgiveness is important to the Savior. The Lord loves effort 
And I think that he's proud when you are working toward forgiveness. That being said, it's not me asking you to forgive. It's your Savior and mine. It's our God who came to earth to live as we live so that he could offer us an infinite atonement, an atonement that not only pays for our sins, but pays for all of the pain caused by others. Doctrine and Covenants, section 64, verse 10. I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. I'm reminded of the Lord speaking to the prophet of the restoration, our Joseph, in Liberty Jail, Doctrine and Covenants, section 122. The ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, and fools shall have thee in derision, and hell shall rage against thee. If thou art accused with all manner of false accusations, if thine enemies fall upon thee, if they tear thee from the society of thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and sisters, and with a drawn sword, if thine enemies tear thee from the bosom of thy wife and of thine offspring and thine elder son, and if thou shalt be cast into a pit or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. The Son of Man hath descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? Therefore hold on thy way. Thy days are known, and thy years shall not be numbered less. Therefore fear not what man can do, for God shall be with you forever and ever. That's what I want to leave with you today. The Son of Man hath descended below them all, below the worst, the hardest, the unimaginable. Art thou greater than he? And the answer to that question is, of course, unequivocally no. We show him faith, faith in his sacrifice, that he really did atone for the pain of our lives, that we really do believe him when he says that he can take it all, he can take our burdens, that he can make it all work together for your good, that like Joseph, every terrible thing that has happened in your life will ultimately lead you to where and who you can be. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.